I have a friend who knows a great deal about um, financial markets, and I was asking him a couple of weeks ago, so when's this whole thing going to turn around? And he said, I have no idea. He said, seriously, I've, I've got absolutely no idea. He said, there are people who are hoping and there are people who are guessing, but there isn't anybody who knows when this thing's going to turn around. And when I look at someone like that who actually understands financial markets, and he goes, you know, your guess is as good as mine, and, and my guess isn't very good, it, it puts us all in sort of the, this waiting posture. Okay, when's the, when's the economy going to turn around? When's the, when's the, when are the markets going to get restored? When will confidence return. And, and, and it puts us in the position where we think like, okay, we can't do a whole lot. Let's wait for tomorrow. Tomorrow it'll be, it'll be better. Now, I do not want to in any way underestimate the difficulty of a financial time like this. For, for many, it's an extremely difficult time. And for our, our, our whole country, it's, it's, it's a bit unprecedented for, for most, of, most of your lifetimes. It's a bit unprecedented in terms of what we're experiencing. But if I could, I mean, just what we're experiencing now, when it goes away, and it will, it, it will go away. It, our, our, our economy will rebound, and it may not be exact same level, but it'll go away. It'll rebound. But when it does, the world will still be in crisis. You know, sometimes I think we get a, a little bit of an illusion here that what we're experiencing, okay, now the world's in crisis. No, no. The world's always in crisis. It, it's been in crisis for as far back as we know. There, there has been tr- tremendous suffering and, and unrest. And I mean, it could, it, Kurt started to allude to it. He'd go over and over with the different ways in which the world is in crisis, with, from you know, civil wars to terrorism to homelessness to children you know, in, 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 in poverty to you know, children being trained how to use weapons and kill and... Africa. I mean, you, you could go on and on with the ways that the world is in crisis, and it and it has been for a very long time. And so there's a, a bigger and more profound quest question I think we need to answer in, in the midst of this time today. And as Kurt said, for the first two weeks we really did focus personally. We focused on personal issues. This week we're going to take it much bigger, and we're, this is the question we're going to ask: How do we live in the midst of a world where there is consistently crisis and suffering and need. What, what are we supposed to do about that? And, and to begin to talk about that, I would like to, uh, you know, to refer to, talk about the Dark Knight, which if, if we had had, if the Dark Knight had come out during our movie series, we definitely would have used it. The only reason we didn't use it is because it wasn't out yet. And so, but the Dark Knight, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's, it's a, I, I think it's a phenomenal movie. But the real, what I think makes it interesting, the, the storyline behind this is there is, Bruce Wayne, Batman, and there's Harvey Dent, the, the, the Attorney General, and w- there's the Joker. And the Joker's task is not so much to be the evil guy, which he is, that comes naturally. His task, and what he believes is, I can make anyone fall. The world is dark enough, and evil is big enough, that anyone eventually will succumb to it. And so the overarching question of the Dark Knight is, can anybody live in this world and not succumb to the, the, the vagaries of brokenness and suffering? And in all the Bat- Batman movies portray this city, horrible city, Gotham, which is loosely based, I think, on New York City, but it's just, I mean, it's so 
dark and meant to picture the real struggles in the midst of our world. Well, what I think that brings up is is this. When we look at the world around us, there are questions. Just like the dark night poses a question, can anyone not succumb to the evil of the world? The suffering our world poses questions. And I think it poses three questions, a question that we can answer in one of three ways. As we look at the pain around us, and you can look at your city, you can look at your country, you can look at the world. One option, one way to face it, one way to face the suffering, the crisis of the world, the continual, the ongoing, never-ending, as Jesus said, the poor you'll always have with you, the never-ending crisis is resignation. Seriously, like, like the song, this is the way it's always been and it'll never change. What in the world am I going to do? You know, the, one of the newest terms is the lowest billion. Billion. Not million. Billion. The lowest billion. You know, just the, the sheer number that goes, how in the world am I supposed to do anything about the lowest billion? I mean, resignation seems the only logical and realistic possibility. Faced with the needs of my city, of my state, of my country, of my world, what in the world can you do other than say, this is the way it's always been and it'll never change? So I'm really sorry. I, you know, I, it's, it's really too bad, but nothing I can do. And so I cloister myself in my own environment. I live my own way and I don't really worry about it. You know, that's what Bruce Wayne could have done. Bruce Wayne had ample opportunity, more than most of us do, due to cloister himself in his environment because he was rich. And he could have lived in a cloister environment and said, look, what, I, what can I do? That's one of the live possibilities we have before us. And quite honestly, if I can be blunt, if I can be frank, quite honestly, that's the one that most of us take. Deep down, we don't really say it out loud. But deep down, that's the one that most of us take. If the problems are too big. What, am, what in the world am I going to do? I'll throw a little token here. I'll do a little bit of this there. But it's not going to change. This is the way the world's been. And it'll always stay the same. What do you want me to do? What do you want from me? Come on. Another option in the face of the suffering, the need, the crisis, the ongoing crisis, and that ongoing is the big part of the world, is we could whine. You know, that we could lament. Now, I want you to understand something. There's a whole book of the Bible devoted to this. The book of Lamentations. It means weeping. It's a whole book of the Bible devoted to weeping. Devoted to, wow, this is really bad. And so that's the difference between resignation and, and weeping is it, it's this. It, it, it appears to have more of a heart to it. And it says, this is horrible. The world, it's horrible. I feel really, really, I still can't do anything about it, but I feel really bad about the way people are suffering. And the third option is we act. We wait in. We find the space of making a difference in the world around us. We somehow overcome resignation. We somehow overcome despair. And we wait in. We find that point, that place where our action matters. And we go. I will tell you in the cliff notes to the rest of the message, that is the biblical position as we find the place of action and we go. Now, to look at that today, we're going to 
look a little bit at a book, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet, and he wrote 700 and some years before, he wrote over a long period of time, mid-700s before the birth of Christ. He wrote it at a tough time, much like the, most of the prophets did. They, you know, The prophets were not saying, hey, everything's going great, just wanted to let you know, a little pat in the back. The prophets were writing because things were not going well. And I'm going to show you just one verse, one verse which sort of s- sums up how, how things are, are going in the land at the time that Isaiah was writing. And this is what he says in verse, verse 7. Your country is desolate. Your cities burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. Yeah, you don't need many more verses. Your country's desolate. It's desolate. You know, your, your, your cities are burned with fire. It's, your, your country is falling apart. Your cities are falling apart. There's absolutely every reason for despair. You know, to curl up in a bowl in a fetal position and go, this is just really bad. This is really bad. So I'm just, what am I going to do? Seriously, what am I going to do? The country's being overthrown. What was happening is that Israel had been doing a lot of things they shouldn't have been doing. And the country had been getting out of hand in all sorts of ways, particularly in terms of its, its social, social justice, in terms of caring for, for people. And in the midst of that, this big country, Assyria, kept attacking it. And it attacks it twice in, in like a 20-year period between them. And the second time, it totally takes them over, takes a bunch of people captive, and cities literally are burned with fire. So, and, and I really, I do not mean to be facetious. I'm, I'm, the economic market's falling is, is bad. It's, it's unquestionably bad. But Assyria hasn't, you know, overthrown us and our cities are not burned with fire. So it's a really bad time. And if there was ever a time to go like, what am I going to do? This was it. Assyria is a big country, big, big empire. Taking them over. Now, in the midst of that, the counsel that God gives the people is very interesting. It's very interesting and somewhat counterintuitive. And this is what he tells them to do and I'm going to skip down a few verses when you spread out your hands in prayer I will hide my eyes from you what was happening is that there was all sorts of religious ceremonies and practices going on God was saying come on you know your your lives are a sham you're just you're, you're throwing up some prayers you're you know sacrificing some animals you know I, don't, I got no place for this anymore Even if you offer many prayers on that, listen, your hands are full of blood. And this is what he says. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. I love how pithy this is. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Okay? What's your advice for us? Stop doing wrong and learn to do right. Just that simple. And then he gives a little more definition to it. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. God says, look, the world is in a, it's, in, it's not in a good place. Things are going really poorly. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to engage. I want you to weigh in. There are plenty of places to weigh in, and I want you to go. Look, there's, there's the, the widow right there. Defend the cause of the widow. There's the orphan. T- take care of the orphan. There's the homeless. Do, do something for the homeless. See, what the 
Bible cuts through. And what I think is interesting is over the, over the years, the Bible has been viewed sort of like this, as like Christianity is a place, oh, it's sort of ethereal, and you know, it's heaven-centered, it doesn't really care about the needs of the world, it's more out there of, you know, just no God. And The Bible is very practically oriented, where God consistently calls to action. Consistently calls us to action. And this one he says, I want you to engage in some very, very practical ways. And, and what I find interesting about this is that it doesn't go, this is not the way I would have taught it. Seriously. I would have done it differently. If I was teaching this, I would have done it differently. I would have said, you need to get your heart right. I want you to get your heart right. And then out of that will spring forward the actions, which he says, just start acting better. Seriously. I mean, look at it. Just start acting better. Don't, don't, don't change your heart. Change your life. Change your actions. It's almost like God says, you know what to do? Seriously, are you really going to throw that at me about, oh, I can't do anything about the world? You, you know what to do. Care for the people in the world. You know, start now. Start here. And it, and it breaks through this, this idea. It's like, okay, we got the one billion, right? One billion. But... The whole point is of the whole one billion, they're made up of, of ones. They're made up of actual people. You know, I've done things, I've done things in my life, and some of them recently where I've actually reached out to somebody real personally, and I didn't think much of it. It was small, really. A little bit of money there, a little bit of action there. It was small, a couple hours there. And, you know, small. Didn't think anything of it. And then they come and look in my eyes and they tell me what it meant. And what, what happens when you actually engage in the life of somebody else is the whole uh, one billion sort of fades away because now you just got one. So it, here's, here's the thing, what, what God doesn't say. He doesn't say, cure homelessness. Make world peace. Stop war. He says, there's an orphan. You should take care of that orphan over there. There's, there's a widow. You should take care of the widow. This is the call of the gospel. To say, I will wade into the world. I will wade into the chaos. And I will seek to make a difference. Now, we're going to explore in two different ways how, how that works. And to do that, first of all, I'm going to have Kurt uh, Graves come up. There, you came from a different place. You. you did. Uh-huh. Completely. That's, um, that's my intention. No, no, sit in this watch chair. Your, gotta watch I'm your just back. kidding. I think you changed straight chairs this yeah, time. Yeah. I, I used to mess with you. Yeah, that would mess with me. Yeah, this is Kurt Graves. Yeah. Kurt Graves is one of our elders and has been since forever. Um, <laughs> literally. Literally, actually. That's yeah. not a... That's not hyperbole. Billions of years. Yeah. Uh, Kurt was uh, just a part of a team that... Uh, for warehouse went over to Africa and returned. It's not in my pocket, I promise. Mine's here. And, and just returned. And so, first, just tell me essentially what were you doing over there? What would you what you do? Would you yeah, uh, a team of folks went, and actually, I'm going to introduce some folks that are right here, so you have to stand up. And I have a reason for this. So, Stevan, Jennifer, and Kenneth, who you can now call Kendall, that's his trip nickname, and, and Kathy. Seriously? Yeah, Kendall. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. 
like Ken Doll, Kathy said. Um, and uh, so, and Kathy and I joined them, and a, and a woman named me. Wrong. Yeah, it's too much. <laughs> too much information. Um, we, we had this opportunity um, to go to uh, South Africa and to Botswana, um, and that opportunity came this way. I want to tell you how it happened. Basically, the, God's really done something at Warehouse where he's really spoken to a number of people in the community, not necessarily leaders of, of the warehouse, that really kind of created this space inside of people, maybe right about here, maybe it's a little bit to the left, I don't know. But um, a really a, a desire and, and a, an attraction to Africa. Um, and those, so, those folks started coming together on Friday nights and started praying and started asking God, you know, what are you doing, what are you saying? And somewhere along the line, that got linked also to our passion about HIV. Since we, we work in some areas here, we contribute in some areas here in Charlotte in the community around HIV. And so um, this space opened up for, uh, through Melissa Lukenbaugh, who had a connection at SIM, which is a, a, a mission here. That has, they have vast work in India and Africa. And she had traveled to Africa, and so she, she got us all connected. And, and the community decided to send some people to Africa to see for their own to see with their own eyes to hear with their own ears, you know what's God doing there and where can we can, where can we join in? And and Kenneth, also known as Kendall, um, sort of had the vision in our group and the group of people that were, were that went that were selected, and he um, he had this idea like from Numbers 13, where it's this, this story about how Joshua sent spies into the land before the before the ancient uh, Israelites went in and possessed it. And uh, to just just to go in and see what good was there, to find some good, and to come back and to report back to all of you about what it was we saw. Mm-hmm. So that was our commission. You guys sent us, and we went and looked around. All right. So tell me a little bit where you went. Well, tell yeah. them. Tell uh-huh. where you went, what you did, what you saw. We um, we met with all kinds of people. We met with folks that were um, that are victims of HIV. In some cases, that's that's a whole family. It's not a narrow spectrum. It's it's a husband and wife with two kids that are possibly going to, likely to be orphans in the not-too-distant future. It, uh, we met with people that were ex- in extreme poverty, living on maybe 2 or $3 a day. Um, we met with people that were um, HIV-positive that looked just like you and I, and you would never know. Um, we met with folks who were community workers, people that are on the ground doing training through their churches or in their neighborhoods. We met with uh, country leaders of SIM that are trying to figure out ways that they can... Uh, they can improve the lives and, and, and bring the gospel to folks. Um, we, met with just in, we met with anybody that would talk to us, and apparently a lot of people are ready to talk. So, and we went to uh, specifically to three cities in South Africa, Johannesburg, Peter Maritzburg, and uh, Port Shepston, and then we flew up to Botswana, which is just north of South Africa, small, big country and land, small country number of people, and we um, visited villages around the capital city, Habarone. Okay. Do this if you can. Give a picture of because I think a lot of times for most of us when we think of AIDS, worldwide pandemic, we think of yeah the billion. I mean the, the numbers are staggering. The number of people have AIDS, the number of orphans in Africa. Uh-huh. Help us to then see it as the one. Yeah, I will. I'll help you to see it the one. The um you know on the 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 one could be a pastor. This is some of these for me are pretty visceral. The one could be a pastor who mm-hmm. says. Um, you know, in 2003, I had one weekend where I buried 18 people. And there were so many people being buried in 2003 that there was a traffic jam and we couldn't get into the cemetery. 
So that would be one person. The one could be, um, you know, like we, we, we met this couple who, um, they were separated, their marriage was, was struggling, they were separated anyway, and she was having all these funky illnesses and couldn't figure out why, and she went to, uh, uh, she went to, have, to find out what's going wrong, and during the course of testing her, they told her she was HIV positive, and she was like, it's impossible. So she calls her husband from whom she's estranged and says, you have to get checked. And so now, they've come, actually the disease has brought them back together. <laughs> but living together with two children, two beautiful girls, and trying to figure out how to go for it. And there's just, I mean, there's just, like you're saying, billions of stories, but, but we only heard the stories of the ones, just mm-hmm. the ones that God brought us to. Okay. Um, I think two more questions. Okay. One is, what we're trying to do there, what mm-hmm. we're trying to figure out is maybe slightly different. In other words, we didn't yeah. say there's a problem in Africa, let's find a place where we can send some money. We're trying to do a particular yeah. thing there. Could you give yeah. a little bit of flesh what we're trying to do there? Yeah, the, um, 2003 were the peak years in Africa for the uh, infection in terms of causing deaths. Um, the, that has, the death thing has subsided to some extent, so have some infection rates, but it's still spreading. In 2003, uh, the West, primarily, that means Europe and, and the States and Canada, began putting a lot of resources into providing ARVs, antiretroviral drugs. So you don't see people, people are getting by on their drugs. They probably have 20 or 30 years. If it's a small child, they're probably going to be severely developed, severe development issues. But people aren't dying at the rates that they were dying before. Um, so in a way, those numbers are really big, and governments have moved in, and, and, and non-governmental organizations, NGOs have moved in to try to stop people from dying, right? Um, but there's a, there's a big gap. There's a big difference between uh, not dying and having full life. And so from a theological perspective, what, what, what we think as Christians, and if you're not a Christian, you're going to hear my best argument for what's going on you know, what's going on in the gospel about social justice. What, what happens in suffering and what happens in sin is that people take on a huge burden of shame and they take on a huge person of stig- amount of stigma. And we saw, we talked to person after person who had been estranged from the families, people that have been completely kicked to the side. And it's really easy for us to think that that's wrong, but the HIV infection in the U.S. was largely responded to the same way in our country, right? People that came positive, you know, not like us, was moralized and kicked out. So people are experiencing tremendous amounts of shame and a loss of human dignity. And what we believe as Christians is that God the Father is the most dignified person in the entire universe. And, and the dignity that we have in our lives is, is part of that mark that he's created us with. But what's happened is that in HIV in particular... That dignity is robbed. And many of these folks are living in real difficult poverty, and poverty has the same effect. And so what some folks are trying to do now, and this is where we really want to engage, is we think that what's happening in the gospel is that when Christ is, is, comes down you know, from heaven to live as a human, to walk amongst us, he was indignifying himself. He, he, allowed, he took off his glory, he took off his holiness, and he, he, he stayed he made holy, but he walked amongst us. He allowed himself to be beaten, he allowed himself to be spat upon, he allowed himself to be whipped, he allowed himself to be killed. He suffered every indignity, the worst of all indignities, 
so that he could restore dignity to us. And what he said is that my followers will be restorers of dignity to others. And so when you notice the scripture in Isaiah that says, you know, by his stripes we were healed. That's talking about when he was whipped. That talks about that indignity of being whipped. He didn't have any, he never did anything wrong, yet he was whipped on our behalf. In a real way, what we're saying is that when it says by his stripes we'll be healed, what we're saying is that we're the people to go now and with the news of his gospel and with the resources he's given us to give that healing. And so um, there's a thing, couple things you can look them up on Google or Wiki, Wikipedia. One called uh, NGOs, or excuse me, one called IGAs, which is Income Generating Activities. One called BOPs, which is based on the pyramid. Basically, these are ideas about how to create uh, wealth, how to create uh, resources in underdeveloped communities. And it doesn't see people as the poor. It doesn't see, it sees people as partners. And it's about creating structures that will restore dignity to their lives. So an example of that is is the woman's picture you saw up earlier with the big brim hat. Um, She's smiling wide. She has this beautiful garden. And what this garden has done, or this work that she's been able to do and the success she's had in her garden, is it's gapping her from the bottom, from the bottom of the pyramid, and moving her up. And the work of her hands is providing, is restoring dignity in her life as she goes along. And, it's, and it just makes sense because in a real way, when we do just do charity and we do handouts, sort of like we're talking about during announcements, in many ways that just robs people of dignity further. We were, our, our father, God, is, is a God who worked. And we were created in his image. And work is good and work should be redeeming, not soul killing. And so the idea is to, instead of just doing handouts, it's not with the billions, just with the few people that we feel like we're going to be called to, to, work, to work for, to work with to create structures, businesses, really, in those communities that benefit those communities and to provide them with a measure of income so that they can be gapped from bottom. One little more thing is, we heard this story early on, it really stuck with us, is that the circle down is you become HIV positive and at some, and at some point AIDS breaks out, it comes full-blown, and, and you get on ARVs, you get on these drugs. Well, in order to take these drugs, they're pretty rough. You have, you have to take, you have to eat. And if you're poor, you don't have food to eat. If you don't have food, you can't take the drugs, and the spin is just measured in weeks, I'm sure, to the bottom. So in a real way, what we're trying to do is restore dignity and place a, a, a bottom to keep people from go, or place a floor to keep people from going to the bottom and giving them the resources to eat so that they can take their drugs. Right. Uh, thanks, Kurt. Kurt uh-huh. and, and the team are going to be up here after the service. If you have more questions about what's next, about anything else you want to ask them about it, but thanks. I was at a uh, leadership conference a few years ago where Bill Hybels, the pastor of a large church, said this, leaders have a bias for action. And um, Jesus has a bias for action. And I'm going to read the last verse of the pastor I read to you before because in the midst of that, there's a hard flip on that on this passage is, is God saying, I want you to seek justice. I want you to defend the orphan, the homeless. There's a hard flip as now God inter- introduces himself and says, and this is what I'm going to do. And it says in verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. <clears throat> Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. And essentially calling his shot for 700 or so years later, God says, come on. Uh, you know, your your life, we've talked about how you need to move out into the world, but 
your own life has fallen apart. You're, you're not connected to me, and uh, come, I'm going to do something about it. And so 700 years later, Christ comes to earth and with a bias for action. He wades in in our planet, and as Kurt said, stripping himself of his dignity. Why? To restore souls. To restore the dignity and the life of souls of those in Botswana and those in Mongolia and those right here to restore souls. And so Jesus engages full bore to bring you back to himself and to make you alive again and to raise your dignity because you were made for him and in his image. And then, in, 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 a, in a movement that is, it is completely contiguous with it, and then what he calls us to do is now... Let's go move out into the world. The truth is, we strip some of our dignity back when then we look out at the world around us and we, and we don't engage. And we don't act because we say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not following him. Because his bias was to move into the world and to engage and to restore. And so the two-part call of the gospel, and they are connected, they are intricately connected. The two-part goal of Christianity is, God says, come, let us reason. I will bring you back to myself. I will restore your soul. I will forgive your sins, and I will make you alive. Come, I'll bring you back. And now, let's go. Let's, let's wade into a world around us. Stop with the questions about whether I can do enough. Before your feet, around your door, down the street, there is need. The thing you may wonder is when we bring up, talk about Africa, is, well, there is need everywhere here. Why Africa? Why is that some place we're going to engage? All I can say to you is it's a profound need that has been laid upon us. And we, we it, it felt like this is where we are supposed to go. We, we weighed in heavily in two places, Camp Green, and we're seeking to do so in, in sub-Saharan Africa. This is what God has called us to do. And again, in some level we go, we need to not ask so many questions. And we need to go, and we need to engage. Now, today, what would I say to you about how to engage? Two things. We, um, Kurt, Kurt referred to how we are seeking to build up a community and, and give it uh, a hand up, not a hand out. Well, this is deeply embedded in how we believe God calls us to, to reach out to, into the midst of the world. And we don't want to simply help people to do a little bit better today. We want to reach into their lives sustainably, to see their soul change, to see their life change. And so the Christmas store, what we do this week is an effort, a culmination of some years of work, an effort for us to change some people's lives, to restore dignity and to give them hope again. And this is what will happen. This week, what will happen starting tonight is this room will be cleared. And then it will be reset with shelving and, and decoration. It will be staged. I've seen the architectural drawings. <laughs> it, seriously, I wasn't kidding. It will be staged like a store. And then... 10,000 presents will be priced. And we're not to 10,000 yet, so if you have presents, you can bring them in any time this week. But already, there's a lot. They will be priced by volunteers. And then they'll be stacked on the shelves. And then Thursday, Friday, Saturday, people will come in and, and we'll have em employees manning the store here. 
in both helping people to find toys as well as speaking to them in such a way that reaffirms their dignity in the image of God such that such that a mom or a dad walks out of the store this week and says, maybe, maybe there is hope. Maybe there is somebody who cares for me. Maybe some of the things I've heard are true. Maybe I don't have to resign myself to life as it was. Maybe there's more. And this week, you have an opportunity. Small ways, Seriously. You take an hour and you put some prices on some presents. You go to the store and you buy something for 15 or 20 bucks. You put up some shelves. With some small efforts, we have the opportunity to refuse resignation and to refuse lamentation and to act and to engage the world around us. And no, a billion people will not be changed. And no, we will not accomplish world peace. But some people's lives will experience hope and an opening, a crack will open for the message that God is there and that he loves them. And on Christmas morning, they will have their children open presents that some person didn't run to their door the night before that they themselves bought. This, my friends, matters. And so I encourage you to engage this week in that process. In so doing, you live out the gospel in real ways in the life of actual people around the corner. The second thing you can do is is this. We believe very strongly in our ministry. I know many of you do too in what we are seeking to do. And what I would say to you just quite bluntly is, is this. In in the midst of these tough economic times, we are seeing greater needs within our midst and outside of our midst, and we long to minister to them. And so uh, if you are one of those people who tends to give end-of-the-year gifts, this is what I would say to you. Those end-of-the-year gifts matter. They do. They are extremely important to the ongoing ministry of Warehouse and our ability to engage the world around us. And so don't buy into that thought, what I do doesn't matter. What you do matters. What we do makes a difference. Your committed giving makes a difference in our ability to engage people and raise their dignity. So that's, practically speaking, what you can do next this week. As we go to communion now, what I would long for every one of us to have a space to consider the two parts of the gospel is the one is God says, come, let us reason. I will wipe your sins away. I will make what was scarlet, I'll make it white as snow. And this, this is a picture of that. This is a picture of Jesus' determination to engage you and to restore your dignity by wiping away your sin and your shame and giving you life with him. And it is also, though, as we receive it, it is a clarion call to this, that God now lives within us. The wait is over. He has come. And out of that, we have the call and the power and the opportunity to engage. If you're somebody who has not ever put your faith in Christ, if it's something that still is a concept you've not gotten a handle on, I'd encourage you not to come forward when we take communion because it it is always deadening to our soul to take a ritual that is intended to give life 
and to use it simply as a meaningless ritual. And so I would encourage you, don't, don't do that to yourself. Make this a space where you can process and you can think. If you're somebody who has put your faith in Christ, who has come to believe that he is your Savior, that he died for you and you long to follow him, whether you're a part of Warehouse or not, then I encourage you to participate with us today. And how we do communion at Warehouse, in case you're not familiar, there'll be five stations. There'll be three up here. I always get this wrong. There'll be three up here and two back there. And... As you are ready, I'm going to serve the communion service in a moment. Actually, if the communion service would come forward as I finish this up, you're going to go to one of those stations. The communion service will gather you into a group of about 12. They will serve you. They will pray with you. And then you can make your way up back to your seat. I'm going to 